This podcast, The Two Mats, is sponsored as ever by the New European Newspaper. And we've got a very special subscription offer for you, a new one, where you can get a free bollocks to Brexit passport cover. That's right, you heard that right, folks. It's a burgundy, like vegan leather, beautifully designed passport cover. Pleather. To, to have pleather, that's what, that's what they call it, isn't it? Pleather. To hide your um, new British blue. The shame of the, the blue shame, The shame passport. of the blue passport. And you can get your free bollocks to Brexit passport cover free with a subscription to the New European from just £1 a week. So to take this fantastic offer, and trust me, if you like this podcast, you will absolutely love the New European, go to theneweuropean.co.uk forward slash two mats. That's the number two, M-A-T-T-S, and there's a link in the show notes. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. You're listening to the New Ethiopian Podcast. Hello. Welcome to the New European Podcast. My name is Richard Porritt, and I'm joined by Matt Withers. Hello there. And Christmassy Cash Boyle. Hello. <laughs> um, welcome, one and all. This is the New European Podcast Christmas special, I guess. I don't know. It's not. I don't know particularly what's that special. Tis <laughs> the season. <laughs> but it is Christmas soon, and um, and you you may well be listening to this during the festive period. You might need a break from. Well, I would always say you need a break from that drunken uncle. That's usually me, um, or your mum, or whatever. But I guess you know you just need a break from yourself. So here we are to offer that. We're going to be joined. We'll do a bit of news, but we don't want to drag you down too much. But we're going to be joined very shortly by um, comedian and uh, well, I, I mean TNE legend, I guess, because he's pretty much been doing his column forever, and everyone loves it. Uh, Mitch Ben. Um, he's going to come on and, and ply us with some more festive treats. And then there will be a cash and burn at the end of the pod as well. Um, I, I, I was going to suggest before the pod, guys, that we could get some festive treats around us. What have you got around you that's festive that that we can we can enjoy while the pod's going on? You mean like food items? Yeah, yeah, like, you know, pigs in blankets and oh, sherry. I think I rather resemble a pig in a blanket. <laughs> I don't, I don't actually have any food around me at this exact moment. <laughs> well, that's not very festive. Oh, I'm, I'm, sure. not, I'm, not, I'm not very good doing Christmas. I think calling me Christmassy cash boiled was a mistake in hindsight. <laughs> I just wanted to get some... I'm, I'm trying to be festive. I'm not one for Christmas any year, really. I don't mind other people having fun. You I'm hate not like spending money. That's your thing, isn't it? I, I hate spending money. I absolutely hate it. 
Um, but that is all spent now. It's all gone. I have no more, no more left to buy. Everything is paid for. And uh, my account is looking very bleak. But, um, you know, w- when it comes around, I think once the shops are shut on Christmas Eve, mm. I kind of relax a bit and get into it. Um, so I am enjoying a festive um, uh, sushi lunch. Right. <laughs> Nothing says Christmas more than sushi. And a, uh, I'm a, as, as listeners of this bottle, I'm a big fan of San Pellegrino, if they would like to sponsor the pod. Ooh, which flavour? Uh, I've got orange. Best flavour, yep. So that is what I'm doing. For, I, I imagine, now Matt Withers is big on Christmas. He's been wearing <laughs> antlers. He's been wearing antlers since October. He's a, he is the go-to man for the Christmas jumper. And um, so Matt, I imagine you're surrounded by... I'm trying to think of something Christmassy. I don't know, gingerbread. Is that Christmassy? Well, I, I'm surveying the, the the table that I'm working from here. I've got uh, a Pepsi Max, which Ooh. I ordinarily wouldn't drink, but I'm Ooh. unaccountably Fancy. exhausted today. Um, so I hope it gets me through the podcast. There is a box of Quality Street, and it's now the afternoon of the 23rd. There's very little left in there. Oh. Um, and then also across the table, there's couple of bottles of red wine a bottle of oh, champagne oh yes now we're talking um, i haven't bought any booze for christmas yet i'm not the biggest drinker but i need to like get my act together because like if the news is to be believed we have run out of every bit of everything well i'm um i, I can assure you that's not the case I've, i literally just went out to get my sushi and there's plenty of stuff I for one am shocked that the news may possibly be hyperbolic. I that is staggering to me. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, let's not dog doesn't bite dog on this uh, podcast. Uh, let's keep the <laughs> <laughs> um, um, but, but booze wise, um, I, I am dry uh, as it stands, although <clears throat> I have to say, one of my biggest things about Christmas, I do, I do like a drink, and um, as anyone who joined us. Uh, after our live shows, we'll be, uh, be able to attest to. Um, but uh, I, I, I'm, or, or indeed, saw you at the uh, the podcast publisher awards uh, <laughs> last last time round, Richard. Well, there was. Or indeed, bit... anyone who saw you last <laughs> Christmas, Uncle Richard. <laughs> I'll tell you, the the, po- the publisher awards was just um, it was a, a really good night. It was just before lockdown, actually, wasn't it? We just managed to get it in before lockdown, and we didn't win. But my, um, there, were very, there wasn't much room on the tables. Um, so I thought, well, I'll just stand here at the bar, you know? And um, when at the bar, what else are you going to do? I mean, on the not, tra- not drink. That's inconceivable. On the train on the way back, um, we bumped into Labour MP Clive Lewis. And, oh, okay. uh, and I, I sort of doorstepped him. <laughs> oh... It was, yeah. I would, uh, yeah. If, I, if I, mean... I recall, I I left you and uh, shout out to John O'Reed who uh, yes. works on the, the website. You and him were heading back to Norwich on the train. I was getting a bus back to uh, Hackney, and you were about to go into the Tesco opposite Liverpool Street ah, Station well. with the intention <clears throat> of buying a bottle of vodka for the journey. <laughs> Well, well, that Tesco is storied in um, in in uh, New European Towers because that is um, the Tesco that we go to when we have to go to London events or whatever. That is the one that we go to just before we get on the last train. And um, probably the most famous incident was when <clears throat> our dear editor Jasper Coppin and a really good pal of mine, me and him dashed in. I think we'd won 
Yes, we had. We'd won four awards at, at uh, one of the journalism awards. It was when we were winning everything. This <laughs> seemed like a long time ago now. And we had we had all these awards under our arms. And we went in and we got um, like a six pack of beer or whatever. And, and, and Jasper bought some beer and a banana, bizarrely. And then we drank it. And then when we got to Ipswich, they kicked us off the train and put us on a bus all the way back to Norwich. It was mm. like two in the morning. And we led... The people on the bus, we led them in singing the greatest love of all. Um, and they were swaying their arms. And so if you were on that coach, that was the new European um, on the last train home, the, the vomit comet. Um, we do like to do that. So, yes. I, but I, the, the, what I was going to say was the problem with me is I Christmas, I t- to get through it, will probably drink a little bit more than usual. So maybe two bottles of vodka rather than just the one. Um, and but I'm a crier, you know. If I if there's something sad, I once I I once watched Gogglebox and cried after one too many drinks. You know, I will cry at anything. And all the TV at Christmas, I'm going to get to that. Of course, all the TV at Christmas is just sentimental drivel. And I just so I spend most of Christmas actually drunk and in tears. That will be my Christmas again this year. I mean, you're spending it like in tears and two senses of the word. Yes, <laughs> yes. And um, I, I, I've just been speaking to uh, someone at number ten. And by the time you read this, you will probably read this. By the time you listen to this, <laughs> you might know a little bit more than us about the tear situation come Boxing Day. But we are expecting um, an announcement. If that comes well, we're on the pod. I will let you know. But you will probably know by then anyway listen let's quickly get to the news because once again it has been a newsy week blah 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 get your news elsewhere etc etc um let's start with let's start with covid then uh, um w- 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 looks like we're gonna go well, you're already in tier four aren't you you two uh yeah. i'm in i'm in tier two looks like we're gonna go are, are we are we heading for another full-on national lockdown Cash, Why could you think? say that rather than like if they're going to do that rather than this piecemeal BS? Mm. It's not a bit unfair. No, that's not very to... good political analysis. But that's, <laughs> how I, that's how I feel. Laura Koonsberg. Um, <laughs> I, I, not who I'm modeling myself on, funnily enough. Well, you know, we've, I, I, you could do worse. Um, but mm. the. I agree with you to some extent. Although what I would say is that local businesses, especially in areas with low cases, would disagree. I mean, it is tough on, you know, we've got some we've got some places where there isn't many cases. But I guess the I guess the view now of government is that the strain is seventy uh, percent. I think they said more transmittable. And if it's not there, it's going to be, and we might as well bite the bullet now. Matt, do you agree? Yeah, I think um, it's. It's kind of 50% medical, 50% communications. I think, as Cash said, you may as well just call it lockdown. I mean, that's what they've done in Wales, right across from the the South Wales valleys, where the the rate of infection is is incredibly high. Uh, actually, right across to Anglesey, which obviously has a has a water border with the rest of of Wales, and and uh, infections are relatively low. But a decision was taken to lock down the entire country um, for comms reasons as much as as the spread. Um, and I would anticipate that any um, announcement that's coming from the the English government, such, such as there is one, uh, is likely to take a similar approach. You know, it's funny. What, I, I remember having a conversation with the comms guys at number 10 way, way back. Um, 
and they were refusing to use the term lockdown. They didn't want to call it lockdown because they thought it was uh, sort of, you know, bad optics. <laughs> that was their worry. Right? I mean, if the aim was to not have bad optics, I'd argue that that has not been achieved was, so far. It was already too late by that point. Mm. Um, yeah. Um, I, I mean, if not, if not now, then then by January. And I, I've, I, I really fear for for schools. That is, you know, yeah, that's always been my main concern. I took so much heat. Um, on social media for saying that schools shouldn't be closed initially, and I, and I, and I you know, I, I, I kind of still stand by that to some extent. Um, obviously, we've got massive problems in, in our high schools. <clears throat> um, my daughter was pinged last week; she's fine, but she she had to come home from school. And my fear is that that we have got a generation of young people who, re- who really are missing out on on education not just the learning but the social aspects mm-hmm. as well and that is a real tragedy i feel so i i really hope that we can do anything we can to keep to keep those schools open there's some suggestions today that um police forces i think might be trialing these uh new tests that that you can take when you when you're asymptomatic, I mean, is there something like that that we could do in schools? I know there's been suggestions of it. I They're guess doing it's... in um, some of my patches um, in like Redbridge and, and Havering. All oh, right. I mean, sorry, in Redbridge, they're doing, they're just rolling out um, sort of testing in secondary schools because they recognize that it's a demographic that's particularly um, where the virus seems to be particularly rampant. Oh, that's so, snogging, and... isn't it? Pardon? Oh, that's snogging. I mean, I mean, it does. I mean, that, that I mean, I know, it has, it does the virus does it transmit by snogging? I can't believe I'm saying that. that I can't believe I'm saying that word on a podcast. Um, if someone if someone said to you, Cash, oh, I've got the Rona, fancy a snog, I would suggest probably refuse. Okay, and, I've got three know. points to that. Firstly, no one's going to say that to me. Secondly, I would refuse on the basis of the word snogging. And thirdly, I am very single and I am okay with it. <laughs> Only somebody did approach you with, with the phrase "fancy a snog." It was definitely time to kind of yeah, rethink I mean, the company you keep, wouldn't it? Hey, wait a yeah, minute. I, it's that's not... what I think. It'd be like, okay, well, you know, the pandemic is one thing, but your vernacular, we need to discuss it. I was in I, I, just before lockdown, right? The first one, I was stood outside a pub. It was a shock horror. I think there is a theme to this pod, isn't there? You're really marketing yourself as a bit of a booze hound on this pod, Richard. I'm an old fashioned dinky hack. Um, <laughs> about, about 100 yards from where I'm sat now, I was stood outside, and uh, this, a, a young lady came up to me and she said, Oh, you're very nice. And I said, <laughs> and I said, well, I said oh, all right, you know, but I was a little bit dubious. And um, and I thought I was probably going to get robbed. And uh, she said, oh, I, 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 I'd like to get to know you. <laughs> and I said, oh, that's good. And, um, and anyway, th- this conversation was very one-sided and lasted for about three minutes. And then she sort of walked off. And I thought that was very strange. But there was part of me thinking, hey, still got it, still got it. And then, uh, and then another, and then a woman came outside for a cigarette, and she did exactly the same thing with her. So it's clearly some kind of scam, which ruined it for me. But anyway, it wasn't just fancy a snog; it was I've got the Rona, fancy a snog. That's the. Yeah, issue. See, I find snog a bit more offensive. This which is, is not weird about because coronavirus is a pandemic. <laughs> this is not about who snogs who or anything like that. It's no. just well, I think we should address the point that you probably can catch coronavirus. Yeah, probably. From, from One would assume so. Yeah, you'd um, imagine so, but I, I feel like it's not 
you know, like when you look at how it's being transmitted, like snogging hasn't been one of the categories with like thirty-two percent of coronavirus cases have been transmitted through through French kissing. Like I feel like that hasn't happened. You would love to see Chris Witcher yeah. going next slide, please. And the slide he brings up, and you remember this, Richard Cash, you're too young, but the the, the signs you used to get at swimming pools with the list no, of no heavy petting. And one of them literally said no heavy petting. And it had a picture <laughs> of, of what the, the, the artist took to be heavy petting. It'd be like no running, no oh, diving, so no bombing, no heavy petting. I would no love to switchy. Those, um, those swimming pool signs, I do remember. It was the same cartoon guy that was he was an he was a terror that fella he basically <laughs> he arrived in the pool he did a bomb in the pool then he had a cigarette in the pool <laughs> yes. yeah no he committed every like sin he then dunked oh, a kid no dunking <laughs> and then he pulled <laughs> yeah. someone was like i really love that bombing i feel like he's done more in that one sequence than most of us have done in 2020 <laughs> I wonder oh, where wow. he is now, that fella. He'll, he's probably got grandkids now. He'll be going, oh, son. Oh, yeah, probably. He's probably, he's he's probably the guy, I don't know if you have, both have seen the Vox pop of that, the guy that's gone viral basically saying that going into tier four is not so bad because he was scheduled to go to his mother-in-law's for Christmas and now he doesn't have to. She makes him smoke outside. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I get it. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, but yeah, sort of, <laughs> we've got, this is, it feels quite festive already, but like, yeah. To bring it back to the sort of the, the main point that I, I was making to start for all the snogging talk, um, was that like obviously they are trialing that in in Redbridge, um, I think in Havering as well, and that that will help because I do agree with you, Richard. I think you've got to do everything possible to keep schools open if 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 possible. Although I do think that Gavin Williamson's kind of real hardline stance with Greenwich wasn't really justified because I I felt that there are reasons for wanting to take that course of action. It's not it's not something they decided on lightly. So yeah, I agree with you that I think if you're going to do that, you it you have to exhaust every avenue possible. Otherwise, like you said, a generation really do miss out on a prolonged period of education and the socialization and other elements that are associated with it. Yeah, and you know, I, I've got three kids, and um, and the eldest two spent spent a lot of time not in school this year, and it, it has made a difference. Yeah, um, yeah, it, no, definitely. I think there's a real you know, because I've spoken to quite a few teachers, like through obviously, and my job as a reporter, and a lot they all say the same thing: the kids were delighted to be back, which mm. is, you know, sort of ostensibly a really nice sentiment. But then you think, well, actually, they're delighted to be back because they've missed out on so much, and that's that's obviously not ideal. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. L- let, let's quickly talk about uh, lorries. I was good. I was I was I was glad that the sun sent a glamour model out with some looked like <laughs> like scotch eggs. <laughs> <laughs> Substantial meal o'clock, guys. I thought that was good. I thought that I was I don't good. know. Going back to the conversation that you, we had with Liz Gerald last week, it felt very much like the sun rehashing its, yeah. its greatest hits and it, and it really not not coming off. And they people just not buying the album. They should have done... What they should have done was um, uh, snogs for lorry drivers. <laughs> I mean, but yeah, then there not. would be even more risk of coronavirus in that group. <laughs> Ah, oh, dear me. Well, um, there we go. There's your guide to snogging and uh, lorry drivers. What about that for the news? Um, I, on a serious note, actually, the the, the pictures from um, you know from from the border were were pretty dark. I have to say, I, I, it's been a pretty dark week, hasn't it? And it, um, it, I mean, I'm I'm um, 
they've basically for everybody um, confirmed what they already thought. And I don't want to um, fall into that trap because as a Remainer on a Remainer podcast, it would be very easy for me to sit here and say, oh, we told you so. This is exactly what it's going to be like after Brexit because that is not helpful. And maybe in a week or two, we could have a conversation about how once everything goes tits up, we we address the issue as, as, as former Remainers. But it's been interesting on the other side, they very much knuckled down on it, it, you know, it confirming that they were right and everything. So Nigel Farage, whose entire political career has been about the importance of countries being able to manage their own borders, is furious at France managing its border mm. um, and prove that this is why we're right to leave the EU with no deal. But my f- absolute favourite was, uh, I don't know if you saw a tweet, tweet from John Redwood, mm. who amusingly, like Daniel Hannan, is often described as one of the intellectual Brexiteers. Yeah. And uh, he, he believed that the whole situation shows why we shouldn't even be importing food. We should just be growing it all ourselves. And he said this on Monday, which I think was the shortest day of the year. So quite what he thinks we might be planting now to have ready for Christmas Day dinner, I I don't really know, given that we're somewhat limited on what we can grow in this country in the times of year that we can do it. But hey, he's one of the clever ones. Were were you guys impacted by the great salad crisis of 2020? No. I bought some broccoli and cabbage greens uh, yesterday, um, much to the chagrin of my other half, who did not think I was taking the um, Christmas Day food shopping with the jolliness and uh, festivities of the season that it should and have been imbued. It's frivolity more than cabbage <laughs> greens. Yeah, Do you like I'm... a Brussels sprout? Do you like a Brussels sprout? Yeah, I like them. Like, they wouldn't be my favourite go-to vegetable, but I, but I, I like them well enough. I like them with mayonnaise. Oh, no. What? No. Yeah, try, check it out. Honestly, it's nice. No, that's upsetting. <laughs> what, like, it, like you, you dip them what, in mayonnaise? Yeah, but like it's like a chicken yeah. wing or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I am on Christmas. I mean, I'm no fan of Christmas dinner. It's just a, it's just a roast with an ego, isn't it? And um, <laughs> I think that, um, yeah, on, on Christmas day, I'll get, I'll get maybe four or five sprouts and I will, Put a little bit of mayonnaise on the side of my plate, and that'll be for the sprouts. I did see. Uh, I, I know he's ubiquitous, uh, Tom Allen. Whenever you turn your TV on the other day, but it did make me laugh. A clip of a panel show he was on where he said, "What's a parsnip? It's a photocopy of a carrot." <laughs> <laughs> I like parsnips though. They're probably my favorite. Well, they they and leeks are probably my favorite vegetable. Oh, a leek! I do like a leek. Mm. I'm I, I, in the sense that I like. I my family used to always like be ballistic, go ballistic at me because even on like a, a roast dinner or like a Christmas dinner, I would have ketchup on the side. I don't do that now. I like to think I'm, I've matured out of it, but it was a source of huge annoyance for them. Well, my, my mother used to carry, when I was a boy, a bottle of HP sauce, brown sauce, in her handbag in case uh, she was caught short and the, the cafe or wherever she was eating didn't have one. She used to put, it's absolutely true, she used to put HP sauce in tomato soup. Oh no! <laughs> I love that she's bringing it out with her, like it's as if it's like an epi pen or something. Like yeah, 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 yeah. Like she, HP phylactic shock. She used to. We'd go around. I would, I remember it vividly on Christmas Day. Actually, around at my auntie's, she would reach down for her HP sauce out of her handbag and <laughs> <laughs> put it on, uh, put it on a, a dinner, and then and then pop it back in her handbag. That's entertaining. I, I like I like that stunts. 
We should get her on the pod. She's completely insane. Um, <laughs> she once went to a barbecue and took. <laughs> she once went to a barbecue and took a um, jackie potato because that's what she wanted. <laughs> she, she, get her on the invite, podcast. She's invited. Like invited to someone's barbecue and took just one. By the way, <laughs> not oh, I've bought jackie potatoes for everyone, and I'd like one. Just one for me. <laughs> I mean, get her on the podcast. She sounds yeah. like she's quite well with us, Mary uh, Bam. Yeah, she's uh, she's she's quite a one. So, Laurie's lots of cues. There was some talk that there was as many as ten thousand. I think it was more like two two thousand five hundred. Um, it says as of the latest that more than five thousand lorries are being held. We are we are expecting probably that those that there's going to be some movement um, by the time you listen to this. Um, do you, I mean? You mentioned there that that Matt that Nigel Farage uh, was beating up on the French. Do, I mean, it, it, is there any is there is there any sort of element where we think that the uh, that France and other EU nations could have could have done this better? Because I know the EU Commission was was sort of pleading with the twenty seven. I think all actually had stopped closed borders to to Brits. Um, that they, they needed to find a way around this. Do you think that? Um, do you really think that there is some blame to go on the side of the French and beyond? It's hard to say because I think did they? Um, sorry, I think you might have fielded that question to Matt. Sorry, Matt. <laughs> no, go, <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, I name checked him, but I was I was much more keen to hear what you want what you were going to say. Cass. Yeah, me too. <laughs> no, no pressure. It's going to be the most insipid nonsense ever to leave my mouth. Um, no, I just it's hard. Keep to say. listening, guys. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm being facetious. Um, no, I mean it's hard to say because it because the, the ban seems to be obviously it's in relation to this new variant um of coronavirus and the risk, and so on that basis I think it's justified. But did they? I mean I don't know how much notice did they give? You know how much notice did they give ahead of imposing this ban, or was it sort of an immediate thing? I this is what I don't know. Well, it can't have been much because obviously all the it was pretty much immediate. Over. Yeah, yeah I mean, so I, I mean, obviously it'd be interesting to hear what their justification for the immediacy of it is beyond the fact that it's like, well, actually, it's an immediate emergency and we needed to act straight away. Um, but perhaps they could have alleviated the situation by allowing enough of a grace period so that so many couldn't sort of gather or, you know, so many couldn't sort of, I guess, drive or go toward that point thinking that they'd be able to travel. Because, I mean, if you look online at the pictures, I mean, they're, it's just and also they look weirdly like a sort of like a tetris game yeah um, the way they're assembled and um it is really sort of like just like a really dismaying and very like a really dark kind of sight just visually just looking at all the lorries it feels like an embodiment of the stagnation to which the uk is going to be subject moving forward and it's and then you see there's a picture of like a lot of the same very similar looking kind of guy so i guess lorry drivers have a profile in terms of fashion sense <laughs> like basically be, like sort of fighting with the police and stuff and it's the whole thing is just aesthetically really unsavory and you know perhaps <clears throat> that more could have been done by the french authorities in terms of giving a grace period to prevent it being as bad i guess the problem with grace periods is that people rush to you know like we saw on, on four, leaving London saturday yeah. evening of course you know yeah. I, I, i'm not one for conspiracy theories but um I like that. I'm not one for conspiracy conspiracy theories, but let me give you a conspiracy theory. <laughs> but you know, some may say, "Well, this is you know just on on the eve of a potential deal of some description. This is this doesn't look good for the Brexiteers." 
No. Well, certainly that's the way it's been interpreted by many of the Brexiteers, that this is entirely Macron playing to his domestic audience. Um, he's got a presidential yeah. election coming down the line, for which his figures don't necessarily look too well, healthy. What do they expect? Do they expect Macron to be playing to the UK Brexit audience? Well, like, absolutely. And, and were, were it happening the other way around, you, you know exactly what side they, they would come come down on. But I, I guess it all, it all plays to the, the narrative which the... The Brexiteers have had um, throughout these negotiations, which is everybody should bend to us. Mm, mm. Quite, Thanks. quite. Right, hey, good news, guys. We're joined by Mitch Ben. Mitch, are you there? Yeah, yeah I'm here. Oh, good, good. And are you, fe- <laughs> are you feeling very festive and Christmassy? About as can much as can be expected under the circumstances, I would have thought. Yeah. yeah. What would a normal um, Ben Christmas look like in comparison to uh, to this year then? There would have been more people there. Um, this, this, I mean, it, it's, it's the thing is, is this is going to be the first Christmas in all my 50 years when there won't be a big gang there on Christmas Day. I mean, you know, when I was a kid, it was always the way, you know, it was lots of aunties and uncles and grandma, most of whom are now gone, you know, and then, you know, it's, it's the, the generational makeup has evolved over the years, but there's always been a mob and this year there will not be. So that's, um, that's going to be quite, quite a switch, yeah. Are you fan? Are you a fan of Christmas? Or you... yeah, I am. I love it. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big daft, gooey, you know, man baby. Was regards Christmas, I uh, always have been. I always loved it, and and I'm, I'm, I, th- I think we've always been quite good at it in our family. You know, I think it's a, uh, think think Christmas is a skill. You know, I, I think it's, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's definitely a kind of an acquired skill. You know, and, uh, our family's always been particularly good at it. And, uh, yeah, so it's, it's it's going to be a bit of it is going to be a bit of a weird one in that respect, um, but hopefully not 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 uh, not unbearably so. Yeah, well, at the at the at the top of the podcast, I was um, I was mentioning that you were going to come on and said you've been writing your column for us in the printed product now pretty much since day dot, I think, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, it was it was it was it was just it was September 2016, and the paper started was in June. Yes, just that's pretty right, much yeah. right after the uh, referendum. So yeah. Um, so yeah, I think September 2016 was when I started. So it's been yeah four four and a bit years. So and it, and it's been I was I was reflecting actually at that time of year, isn't it? And I was reflecting on the new Europeans four and a half years, and mm-hmm. you know, we sort of we set it up, um, or well Matt and, and Steve I guess set it up with it, it, with Brexit very much in mind. But it's become so much more. You know, I know you did a lot of writing about Trump, for example. It's just been madness after madness, hasn't it? Do you think we're coming to something like the end of that mad period? I think, think the Americans are. We're not. Yeah. <laughs> I think. I think. You know, if if, if all goes to you know, military coups notwithstanding, the Americans are coming to the end of their period of insanity. Hopefully, mm. uh, and and with where America's concerned, all that one really hopes is that they don't do what American liberals always do to say, "Oh, let's not dwell on the past. Let's move forward." No, let's put some people in jail. <laughs> um, yeah. Let's put quite a lot of people in jail. Because otherwise, in four years' time, this is all going to happen again. Because, you know, the playbook for um, subverting American democracy and instituting American fascism is now very, very clear. It's right out there. The groundwork has been made. And, and, and the next person who tries it isn't going to be as big an idiot as Trump is. Yeah. Because ultimately, that's Trump's weakness. Well, I mean, amongst his many weaknesses is, 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 is um, you know, he's, he's 
not a smart man. He's been told all his life that he is, and he believes it, but he's really genuinely not a very clever guy. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, you know, much as our own leader, he's cheated his way through life at every turn and, 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 and patted himself on the back for every time he's gotten away with it. And as such, now thinks he's a genius when he's not. He's just a successful cheat. Um, and the next person who comes along and tries, and tries to run the American fascism playbook is not going to be a vain um blinkered idiot and narcissist he's going to be more calculated he's going to be clever and he's going to get it right unless everybody involved in this attempt is in jail by then which might give people pause um and so that's my one hope for the americans is that they do not forgive or forget i think that you know people need to go to jail um i don't really know what my hope for this country is (laughs) at the moment i think boris is probably going to resign probably sooner rather than later um because i don't think he's enjoying this job off as much as he thought he would and let's face it he's an incredibly weak man and he's not going to do a job he doesn't enjoy for any length of time um so i think as soon as he can find a suitable excuse i think he's going to be out of the picture and then the question is whether he succeeded you see the tory party have have backed themselves into one of their occasional corners which is that they're basically devoid of any kind of wit or talent on their front bench because Mm. their entire front bench has been selected for either loyalty or the ability to fake loyalty Mm. so um you know we've got a bunch of true believers and brutuses in waiting um there's no obvious successor to Boris. It's not going to be Gove because nobody in the Tory party trusts Gove because you can only be quite that treacherous quite so many times before people start to get the picture. And now you're talking about, I guess Rishi's the obvious one. God help us if it's pretty Patel. Um, but yeah, so I don't think we're not going to have Boris much longer, but the question is then what? Do you think the, sheen, this, 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 the sort of sheen is coming off Rishi Sunak a little bit? I've seen it was all very positive for much of the year, uh, the, the chatter about Rishi Sunak. But I've seen more and more just creeping in, you know, that he he should be part of the conversation with regards to the mishandling of coronavirus as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, the thing is, it's difficult, isn't it? Because I mean, one of the ironies, of course, of British politics is that the um, you know the uh, supposedly backwards bigoted and insular conservative party have had two female leaders and look like they're about to appoint probably their first uh indian leader uh and whereas the progressive inclusive and dead woke labor party has never had anything other than a straight white guy or an ostensibly straight white guy at least um that's one of sort of the central ironies of British politics, partly because Labour's nothing like as inclusive as it thinks it is and just, you know, just takes its own inclusivity for granted. That's a problem that is inherent on the left is assuming that, you know, the, the right knows that it's behind the curve in terms of diversity and inclusivity. They don't all care, but they know they're behind the curve. The left think they totally took care of that in the 80s. So calm down, love. You know, mm. uh, <laughs> you know, um, which is one of the things that perpetuates, you know, Labour's anti-Semitism problem is the genuine belief through a lot of the Labour movement that you can't possibly be bigoted and a Labour supporter. And of course, of course you can. There's an absolutely nothing about being, you know, racism isn't a right wing thing. You tend to see more obvious and vocal examples of it on the right, but it's not a right wing thing. It's not a political position. It's a phobia. It's a mania, and you can have it any way you like. Um, but I honestly I, I don't know. I mean, it could well be. But it's, it's, it's difficult for a party which is, as the Tory party is at the moment, cruising entirely on xenophobia um, to know what it's going to look like if it has a non-white leader. Mm. That's going to be something which it's... 
you know, it's it's basically fueling itself on xenophobia and has been for you know since before the referendum, um, largely to try and you know get an end run around the back of Farage. It's been embracing petty racism um, and weaponizing petty racism. So it's just like you know, hey, all you racists, your leader is now an Indian guy. Mm. I'm not sure how that's going to go down, quite frankly. Mm. Um, you know, and and I'm sure some people will be offended by what I just said. And I ask them to go and take a look at the situation. They can go and take a look at themselves, have a Merry Christmas and get the hell over it. <laughs> <laughs> ho, ho, ho. Yeah, exactly. I'm sorry. Can I, sorry, can I just you say, know, I've I'm, never, I haven't met you, Mitch. Um, I'm, I'm Cash. And uh, I, oh, Cash. I, 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 I love you. Um, Thank you. Like in a, oh no, not like, in, a, in a non-romantic way, like not, not like a, not in an offensive sense, but I just, I just, I, I, I love you, and I, I want to say everything that you have just said all the time. Thank you. Thank there you. you go. Look at yeah, this. This is this is this is part of the fun of not working for the BBC anymore. <laughs> <laughs> right. That was that was sort of rude of me to interject, but you just just what you just I just I I had a moment of uh, where I was overcome with emotion. Oh, thank oh. you. It's very nice that you say so, Cash. Goodness me, just... so, someone's on the someone's on the advocate already. <laughs> I'm genuinely drinking a bottle of water, so I can't even like attribute it to that. It's just an embarrassing sort of moment for me. But totally, Mitch is totally deserving. R- Richard, you. on the, the the point that you, the, the question that you raise about uh, Rishi Sunak and whether questions mm. should be asked about him, um, I think he had always taken the view that the vaccine wasn't going to come along quite as quickly as it did. And that was why all the financial decisions he was taking, you know, the, the refusal to extend furlough right up until he extended furlough, were because at some point he thought that we would have to ride this out and take more of an economic hit as a country because he couldn't, um, you know, forever for, for four or yeah. five years. Uh, and what's happened is it has come along quickly and, it, and it's mm-hmm. shown that he was a little short-sighted. In, well, in- I mean, it depends what you mean by short sight. I mean, at the risk of saying something nice about a Tory. I mean, I think it took us all a bit by surprise when um, Pfizer announced that they had a working vaccine. As yeah. I think a, a lot of us were very much trying to get to grips with the distinct possibility that this was just going to be the way it was for about maybe another two, three, maybe even four years. And I think um, it was, you know, a pleasant surprise when Pfizer announced that they had it. And then, you know, obviously... It, I don't think it's a coincidence that a couple of other um, developers announced a vaccine in the same place because ultimately you're dealing with, you know, chemical processes that take as long as they take. So if they're all running much the same kind of test, they're all going to come up with the same answers at about the same kind of time. Um, so once Pfizer got theirs done, it was fairly obvious that the other developers are probably going to come up with something similar fairly soon. But I think that did uh, that come as a bit of a surprise. So, I mean, it's... Yeah, I mean, one could debate his response to that contingency, but I don't think he was being unreasonable in 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 brooking that contingency. I don't think he was being unreasonable in in contemplating that contingency. If we could be stuck like this about another four years, I say, what you then do about it, you can then debate. But I don't think it was. I, mean, I don't think it was unnecessarily, unusually pessimistic of him this time a few months ago to think, well, this could be it for years now, because I think we were all looking down that mountain. And I think it, it, it did come as a, just about the only pleasant surprise that this year's brought was when Pfizer came up with the results as early as they did. Well, was, uh, you, you, you preempted my next question was, which mm-hmm. was going to be, uh, has there been any sort of glimmer of hope from this year? It's been a strange and odd year, obviously, and a, and a tough one, but is, 
Is there anything that's, I don't know, brought a smile or made you feel hopeful for the future <laughs> at all, Mitch? There's, there's been plenty of things that brought smiles occasionally. I mean, one could hope, and this, you know, again, one is almost tempting fate with this, but, uh, the, you know, I don't know if the wheels have actually come off the right-wing populist bandwagon, but certainly the nuts are slackening. Mm. Um, you know, the 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 the, 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 the you know the, the wheels are certainly out of alignment. We picked up a bit of a shimmy in the steering wheel, put it that way. Um, I think I'm hoping that the sheen is well and truly off right wing populism because the thing about right wing, but but this is why you know right wing pop. You know, one hesitates to say fascism. It's certainly a you know fascism is a subset of right wing populism. Not all right wing populism goes quite that far. I don't think. But I mean, it's something I've written about. The reason fascism wins big in the short term is the same reason it loses in the long term. It's just too easy. Mm. It's too easy. It's it's a, a philosophy for fools, cowards, and weaklings. Mm. Um, mm. Because th the first thing is. Nothing that's wrong with your life is your fault. That's the first thing that your right-wing populist tells you. You know, you have a crap life because of all those other people. It's not because of any inadequacy or laziness or foolishness on your own part. Your life sucks because of insert as applicable, the yeah. liberals, the Jews, the Muslims. You've got a crap life and it's because of them. You know, so you don't need to examine anything you do. You don't need to look at anything you've done. You don't need to examine any of your own behavior. Everything you're doing is perfectly fine. And if it wasn't for those guys, you'd be David Beckham now. You know, um, you'd be fabulously handsome and wealthy. And the only reason that you're not fabulously handsome and wealthy is because of the inserters applicable. So it's because of the hate group. Then the second thing it tells you is, and the really good news is you don't have to do a damn thing about it to fix it. You've just got to give all your power to me. Yeah. You don't have to take any responsibility. You know, it's not your life that you're, you know, your problem that your life is crap and it's not your responsibility to fix it. So that's why it wins big in the short term is because it's an ad man's dream. You know, it's the easiest sell in the world. Yeah. You know, you're right about everything. You don't need to consider any of your own attitudes and you don't have to do anything to fix it. But the reason it falls down is exactly the same reason. It's just too easy. Um, and life isn't like that. And the trouble with populism is sooner or later you've got to tell people stuff they don't want to hear. Yeah. And well, and you know, and, and that's when it and that's when you know the, the scales start to fall from people's eyes. Hopefully, sooner or later you bring bad news. And you know, Boris's whole thing is he's Mr. Good News, you know, and, and that's why you know he does what he does the other night and calls press conferences when he hasn't actually got a damn thing to tell anybody. One you of the, the best articles, uh, most interesting and telling mm -hmm. articles I've read in the New European in the past uh, year was by Deborah Mattison, the, the yeah. excellent pollster who uh, had a book out this year about how Labour lost the Red Wall. And she was right. talking about the focus groups that she spoke to. And I distinctly remember one um, older gentleman, I think he was in, I'm pretty certain he was in Yorkshire. And he told her how when the Brexit result came through, he was punching the air like England had won the World Cup. And he told her that in this area, we used to have so many manufacturing jobs and they all went. And now we've got Brexit. They'll come back. And I thought, and what happens why? when they don't? <laughs> yeah, you know? why? Yeah. Well, it makes no sense. Yeah. You know, we could we could explain at Olympia why, why manufacturing jobs have left these shores. But it's nothing to do with the UK's membership of the European Union. But if what he took from that campaign, and I'm sure he's not alone, is that that was what was going to happen then an awful lot of people who threw their lot in behind Boris Johnson and Brexit, they're going to have questions over the next three, four, five years. 
um, because they were tacitly, if, if not implicitly, promised these these uniforms. Yeah. Um, so oh, I've no doubt they'll right. have. Yeah, I no doubt they have questions, but I don't look forward to their answers yeah. because um, I. It would be nice to think that blame would be a portion where it belongs. But certainly there will be a very, very concerted effort to apportion blame literally everywhere else. I mean, we're already seeing how this is all our fault. We're already seeing how, you know, no deal is the Remainer's fault. We're already seeing how the people have been literally excluded from every part of the process for the past four and a half years. Somehow it's our fault that the process is going wrong. And, you know, uh, the fact that all our predictions are coming true, that's our fault for having made those predictions. Mm. Um, and that somehow we've, we've willed no deal. But the thing about no deal is no deal was inevitable. Um, I mean, James O'Brien pointed this out quite early on. He said it's going to be no deal for the simple reason that the minute you write it down, somebody will veto it. And, and, and indeed, I wrote an article about three years ago when people were saying how, you know, um, it was, it, it, people were positing the idea that we must not obstruct Brexit because there will be civil unrest, which, first of all, you know, what the hell ever happened to we do not negotiate with terrorists? But second of all, that was never going to be a viable option because the Brexiters are going to be angry, whatever happens. Um, and I said at the time, if they get anything short of full-on gunboats in the channel, no deal. And by the way, when I mentioned gunboats in the channel three months, three years ago, I was told to sit down and behave myself. And now it's on the front of the Daily Express. <laughs> but, you know, it's, you know, if they get anything short of gunboats in the channel, no deal, then it will be betrayal, betrayal and treason and treachery. And those remainers have sold us out. Right. If they get gunboats in the channel, no deal. And heaven forfend, mm. it's not Nirvana levels of paradise then it will be treachery and treason and betrayal and we were sold out by the remainers. You know, so whatever happens, it will be treachery and treason and betrayal because the thing which they were sold, which is the Brexit, which is dead easy and makes everybody richer and happier, that has always been impossible. So they were never going to get the thing they were sold. So they're always going to get something else and they're always going to be angry. And that's, you know, you're right. They are going to have questions, but I'm not looking forward to the answers that they come up with. Mitch, can I just ask, you, you mentioned before that fascism is obviously the easiest sell, but also it's, you know, the easiest thing in a sense to, to destroy. Yeah. I, I agree with that. But what my concern lies in the fact that when, you know, that the mask does come off, I think that was the wording you used, or when the, the veil mm. drops, we need a, or there needs to be a tangible opposition in place to, to capitalize on that, because if there isn't, then basically the collapse of, of that rhetoric and the, that ideology really well it won't, it won't mean anything because there won't be a, mm -hmm. a sort of an opposition to take advantage and it just reminded me of what you said at the outset about um sort of you know how sort of discrimination and hate and prejudice isn't an exclusively mm -hmm. right-wing thing and it's also a left-wing thing and i was just curious what your views were on what a tangible opposition would have to a look like and b have to do to be ready when the inevitable collapse comes uh, well, one thing which they need to be doing, and this has to ha really start from the Labour Party, is that the opposition parties need to be talking to each other because the maths are so high against them right now. The, yeah. mathem I mean, the, the mathematics of Labour actually being, even if there's a general election 
And I suspect there'll probably be one before 2024. Maybe not that much before 2024, but I suspect there will be one before 2024. But right now, the mathematics against Labour winning that is almost insuperable. Um, the kind of swing that it's going to require is going to make 1997 look like a minor course correction. Um, and the opposition parties need to be talking to each other now. They need to be working on presenting a united front when the time comes now. Uh, they need to be getting commitments that they are going to push for proportional representation the minute they get in now, because they're going to have to, it's going to probably going to take about three years for them to sell that initially to their own membership, which is the prospect that not only are we going to be getting out of each other's way in the seats where another party is more competitive, we may end up actually having to spend money and campaign for other people's parties. Basically, what I'm trying to say is the days of the people's jump front of Judea are over. Yeah. All right. The days of the people's front of Judea are over. We need the ABC coalition, anyone but the conservatives. Yes, I That's agree. what we need. And that has to happen right now because the Tories as arms, yeah, you'll get your blips. You'll get whatever the hell Farage is going to rebrand himself as now. And now he's just basically trying to flog a pyramid scheme. And the sooner the FBI cut him off, the better. But, you know, you'll get whatever, you'll get whatever the hell Lawrence fox is doing you know but but they'll only ever be they'll only ever be blips because at the end of the day conservative voters will always come home for the big elections because that's what conservative means um you know they'll 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 vote for the uh the right-wing dingbats on the um on the the you know in, in the the local elections and the european elections as was but they'd always come over for the general election and then unfortunately right now that doesn't help because the right-wing dingbats have taken over the whole conservative party but in the meantime you have this uh, hopelessly fragmented opposition everything to the left of the conservative party even if it's that puts it bang in the middle uh is fragmented labor's not getting scotland back anytime soon yeah, right that. now in Scotland, as far as most people are concerned, there's no real choice between one English unionist party and another English unionist party. Labour's not getting Scotland back anytime soon. So they need to do some kind of deal with the SNP. They need to do some kind of deal with the Lib Dems. They need to do some kind of deal with the Greens on the understanding that if you guys all get together on this, then there will be PR on Soren and you guys will actually start to wield some kind of influence proportional to the level of support you have. Because right now, the Conservative Party, it, you know, it enjoy, I mean, this is, again, something I've, I've written up on many, many times is that first past the post you you end up inevitably with a government wielding a hundred percent executive power on the basis of the active support of generally no more than 30 percent of the population so what you end up with is a party in absolute control of the political process which is either passively or actively opposed by 70 percent of the people and however you split it that's not right um so and the other thing is you get weak candidates because only in first past the post do you get safe seats. And when you have safe seats, you get weak candidates. That there is, is no way. There so is no way no. Andrew Bridgen would be in Parliament right now if he was in a competitive seat. But you know, That's if you end, you know, that that you know, um, there's a lot of double digiters in the House of Parliament right now, put it that way. And you don't, you know, you don't get into Parliament as a double digiter unless your seat is presented to you with a big blue bow on it so if we have the kind of constituencies where basically you can get a wheelie bin and if you slap the right color rosette on it we're going to end up with a parliament full of wheelie bins 
Um, there are so, and, and of course, the other thing, and this again is something which really needs to be flagged up by people in an altogether more important position than me, is that all the reasons that were always cited to not go PR, all the reasons always cited to retain first past the post, all the things that first past the post is supposed to protect us from, it has totally failed to protect us from for over a decade now. Because you'd say, what you want? You want to be like the Europeans? You want to be like the Italians with like you know thirty political parties and constantly shifting coalitions and election every two years? That's literally where we've been mm. since 2010 yeah. uh, with fragmenting political parties and shifting coalitions and election every two years. And that was the one thing that first past the post was meant to save us from, but it can't do it anymore. So there is literally no reason to hold on to it, except mm. for the fact the reason to hold on to it is that whoever's in the position of power to change, it has by definition just lavishly benefited from it. So they're always kind of loath to do so. So it has to be, you, you can't start it once the election's over. You've got to start it now. So that's what we need. So in answer, I think the cash is question. Yeah, you're quite right. What, what you don't want, what you don't want, and what is entirely possible right now is for the, you know, this kind of smiley-faced right-wing populism to bite the dust and just to be replaced by an altogether sterner-faced more right-wing populism because they're the ones who've got their act together in that moment. You're right. We need to have some kind of concerted oppositional front to it. And I think the way to do it is, yeah, they've just got to pack it all the people's front of Judea bullshit and start talking to each other, basically. Here, here. Anyway. Thank you. Yeah. Mitch, Mitch, we, 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 we begged you to yeah. bring your guitar along. And, we, and, and, and we, we'd love to hear, because I think you, you, you've written some alternative Christmas songs for the, for the Christmas print edition, I believe. So we wondered yes. if we could if we could hear a few, okay, or, or one or <laughs> anything, and that's still on sale now. It's a double yeah, edition. It is. It's still on sale right now. Yeah, I because um last year I did the uh, the 2019 Carol songbook, so I thought this year I'd do all the secular standards. Um, okay, here's one for the the Tories. Last Christmas you wanted our votes, but the very next day. You threw them away. This year, we're living in tears. And the country is looking dreadful. Last Christmas, you had a good deal. But as soon as you won, it all came undone. This year, your failure is clear. Some leadership is essential. Think about that song as it just goes <laughs> round and round in circles. It doesn't really go anywhere. Um, well, I love some more. Hang on. Oh, yeah, here we go. Uh, you better not yawn. You better not sigh. You better not laugh. I'm telling you why. Donald Trump is coming to town. He's bringing a list of foolish lawsuits. They'll all be thrown out with derision and hoots. Donald Trump is coming to town. <laughs> he sues you when you're sleeping. He sues you when you wake. Though everybody knows he lost, he insists there's some mistake. So get some popcorn and watch because this slow motion train wreck you don't want to miss. Donald Trump is coming to town. Actually, it's less creepy than the real lyrics. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, that's a creepy-ass song, isn't it's it? It's a really creepy song. I always think it, that. 
Is it great? The only version I like is the Bruce Springsteen one because he's laughing his ass off and having a great time. But the words of that song is just basically a series of threats yeah. issued to <laughs> yeah. what a presumably terrified <laughs> child. Menacing. You know, it is, isn't it? Well, I mean, if you, if you read the words out to Santa Claus is coming to town in a low, gravelly voice, it becomes the voiceover to a slasher movie trailer. <laughs> he sees you when you're sleeping. He knows if you're awake. You know, it's just this horrible song. Horrible, buddy. Right, what else? Right. Um, the line with, like, the nice Santa you see in the Coca-Cola van. <laughs> yes. Corporate Santa. <laughs> Yeah, good. So I just wanted to show over the middle, across the middle. Okay. Shop bells ring. No one's listening. On the shelves, things are missing. A worrying sight. We're hungry tonight. Starving in a Brexit wonderland. Gone away is the old deal. Here to stay is the no deal. The chains of supply have all gone bye-bye. Chaos in a Brexit wonderland. In the meadow we can build a Boris Out of snow and twigs and crown him king By the morning he will all be melted But still he'll be more use than the real thing Later on, we'll conspire Set our furniture on fire To burn while we sleep And that's how we'll keep From freezing in a Brexit wonderland That's that. <laughs> Very yes, good. Very good. <laughs> Absolutely fantastic. Um, well, listen, we've kept you, I think, far too long. I'm sure you've got to go and do <laughs> your Christmassy things because you are Mr. Christmas by the sounds of it. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> absolutely loved your uh, alternative Christmas songs, Mitch. And it's an absolute pleasure to have you on. And uh, here's to many more fabulous columns in the New European in 20. 20- absolutely. Yes, it's 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 uh, <laughs> it's 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 incredibly valuable to me as a release valve, if nothing else. Well, thanks very much, Mitch. An absolute pleasure. Have a great Thank Christmas. Thank you, guys. Thank Have you a great much. Christmas. Merry Christmas. Christmas Merry Christmas. You do. Merry Christmas. Cheers, guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Mitch Ben, what a superstar. And um, we should probably... Well, now he's gone. I think, Matt, we should clip those songs out and release them quickly so you can get them to Christmas number one. What do you think? <laughs> I, like this, uh, I want that tagline, Christmas is a habit. <laughs> there, is a, there is a contender for Christmas number one, isn't there? That's about Boris Johnson. That we can't say the name of either the song or the act. On well, do you know podcast. what? The, uh, Christmas number one. I was, I was, um, I, I, I bet you were the same actually with us. I was a sad, lonely child, <laughs> and I was an only one. I used to keep. Um, I was obsessed with football tenances. I used to have a little black book where I used to write all the football tenances down. Any kind of statistic drove me wild so the pop charts were a big deal you know what was coming in what the breakers were you know biggest climber and all that kind of thing so christmas number one was a big deal for me as a kid i now literally have not got a clue what's even in the charts well because of streaming now at this time of year it's all classic christmas songs i think currently um mariah carey is number one and everything below that are just classic christmas songs from the past kind of 40 years but yeah as i say if you if you google it there is a song that's on course. I think it's currently about number five in the midweek charts. It's Boris Johnson is a something something by Ooh, a band can I, called. Can I guess? 
the some things you can't say on this podcast, uh, Richard, because um, <laughs> and, and, and I've actually met the guy behind this uh, a couple of times in, in, in the past. He's quite a strange uh, and, and incredibly foul mouthed character. <laughs> um, but yeah, if, if people Google that, there was a genuine opportunity for that to be the Boris Johnson is a something something by the somethings. I yeah. love that it's like it's like a like a hangman or something. It's or like it's... it's like blankety blank if blankety <laughs> blank um was illegal. <laughs> Which it should be, but we're gonna get off to Christmas TV oh. very soon. Oh well let's get on to it now. Um because we have um for many moons on this podcast uh you know, decried the fact that Mrs. Brown's boys even exist. The terrible news came last week, of course. Um, that there, there is not only going to be a Christmas special this year, there's going to be four more, I think. Um, I think it's six more. Oh, it's my God. 2026, yeah, it? I genuinely oh. felt like I've been given like a custodial sentence for that length of time, but with no parole. Um, and so we, Matt offered a public service, basically, um, where, where the public service broadcaster has let us down. Matt Withers is going to step in and offer you some alternative viewing. So when is Mrs. Brown's Boys on, Matt? Because um, we need to be aware. We don't want to sit on the remote by accident and you know, you turn it on. If you want to avoid Mrs. Brown's Boys... Um, that is the best way to kill it. If no one watches it. <laughs> um, to, to, to sound like a certain popular film podcast, if you want to avoid that film, it's on 10pm uh, on Christmas Day. So I've had a lot on chat on, on BBC One. On yes, BBC of course, One. that was written into the contract, wasn't it? It, it was had written into the contract. It had to be 10 p.m. <laughs> uh, on BBC One. So these are your alternatives: BBC Two showing uh, La La Land, which I think is a pretty ah, good film. I've not seen that. It's it's really well good. worth watch. Yeah, it's a really good film. It's a movie I've actually seen. Really Wait good. a minute, is it cryy though? Because by 10 p.m. on Christmas Day, I'm yeah, you'll be... cry at the end. Ugh. I think if you like, if you're if you're open to an emotional sort of um, love scene. Oh, no, it's not so much love that makes me cry. It's like sick puppies. I'll tell you what makes me cry. Those donkey sanctuary adverts on Sky News. Yeah, fair. Oh, anyway, sorry, Matt. Go on. La La Land, that's a good option. The BBC yep. Two, all right. Uh, ITV, or ITV One, as it was for a while. That's Channel got, Three, in my um, ass. Yeah, it's Channel Three. It's Granada for me. Um, <laughs> uh, it, it, they've got a show called It's Clarkson on TV. What I, what I, <laughs> that appears to me to be Jeremy Clarkson laughing at foreigners. Um, All right, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> ITV Three on Christmas Day, more generally, it's showing in total. Nine carry-on films, three what? on the buses films, ah. and two episodes of George and Mildred. Um, ITV three has got how many carry-on films? They've got nine throughout the day. Nine. Just and just to break it up with a bit of on the buses and George oh, and Mildred. For it, Withers. <laughs> uh, half past ten in the evening. That's when Carry On Girls starts, which I don't think is included. Uh, it's for one of the great ones of the, of the is that is that one of the one of the one of the ones that is shunned by the carrier mine a good pal of mine uh john taylor very good friend of mine is a massive carry-on films fan and he spent 300 quid getting a barbara windsor bobblehead i probably shouldn't have said that because if his missus is listening if he's in the car he's getting a kick in now <laughs> <laughs> a barbara windsor bobblehead yeah 300 quid. <laughs> madness I I think Carry On Girls, by that point, it, the films are pretty much single entendre. Well, what about the yeah? What about the one that came out in the 90s? With, oh, uh, Carry On Julie, Columbus. Yeah, with Julie well, the, Clarion. There's, there's, one, there's, there's one that's been uh, in development hell, as they say in the film industry, for a few years called Carry On London, which is still, I think, supposed, you know, in the works somewhere in, 
in pre-production, but hopefully mm, that well. will never see the light of day along with maybe. Mrs. Brown's Boys, the movie too. Oh, maybe in, in six years when we're giving out advice on what to avoid at 10pm on Christmas Day on this podcast, <laughs> you will be able to watch Carry On London on ITV3. Um, what else have we got? Gold, that's got a knight of uh, Dad's Army for those Brexiteers like the uh, aforementioned Andrew Bridgen, who uh, thinks it's a documentary. I, I once went, right, I, I had to do, um, I was supposed to be going to Iraq um, and I had to go and do this, um, as a reporter, by the way, I wasn't in the army, um, and I had to go and do this sort of pre-training stuff at Thetford Army Base, which is where they filmed Dad's Army. Um, and, uh, and and they're very proud of this. <laughs> they were showing us around, very proud that they were associated with these bungling home guards. Um, I was a little bit dubious about going to Iraq with Dad's Army, frankly. Um. Sky Sports, uh, I know you're a, you're a fan, Richard, the old hot, hot, hot. They've got live NFL, New Orleans Saints against the Minnesota Vikings. That's right. Now, that is Christmas, right? I like the way the Yanks do it. If, the, if Christmas Day falls on a Sunday, they don't cancel the fixtures. They still do them. Um, and if, even if it doesn't, they still play an NFL game. Now, that's how we should. We should have a full football fixture list on Christmas Day so I can sit and watch football all day. Then I'd be happier about Christmas. What about the next day, though? Yeah, that's on Boxing Day. Well, half and half, you know. I'll do it both days. Yeah, fair. Um, for our um, Welsh-speaking listeners, and uh, Nadolig Llawen to you, um, S. Ek is showing Nadolig Al Lewis, which is singer-songwriter Al Lewis, taking us on a personal journey from Cardiff to the Sheen Peninsula, performing some of Wales's biggest Christmas songs. I like to think that that's just him with his um, mobile phone, uh, on on one of those holders on his windscreen, just driving <laughs> there and singing Christmas songs. I'd watch that. That's oh. that, that might be my favourite choice so far. Like that film with um, Tom Hardy. Entirely, it was just him in front of his car. Ironically, putting on very very bad Welsh accent and talking about concrete yeah. throughout. Um, finally. Um, BBC Parliament, at the same time as Mrs Brown's <laughs> voice is on, is repeating the last House of Lords question session of 2020. Sold. <laughs> I mean, well, it's, still, it's still preferable, isn't it? it oh my, you're I, damn right. No, absolutely. It's not even a question in my mind. You're damn right. Hey, from, from the Lords and one set of ordinary guys to another couple of ordinary guys, because nothing screams Christmas more like more than a nice, smooth chin, I think. So let me tell you about Jeff and Andy. Those are the two aforementioned ordinary guys because they were fed up with overpriced razors. This is smooth, isn't it? Uh, so they started Harry's because they wanted to fix shaving. Um, Harry's knew from day dot that the best way to ensure quality um, was to have their own factory. So they bought one. And by taking less profit, Harry's offers great quality products for a fair price. Their amazing quality blades are almost half the price of the leading five-blade brand, which is pretty bloody good. And, new European listener, we've got a little offer for you. You could try out the Harry's trial set. This is what it includes. Are you ready? A weighted ergonomic handle, five precision-engineered blades with a lubricating strip and a trimmer blade, Rich lathering shave gel. It's really good stuff. It smells divine. People will definitely want to snog you. And a travel blade cover. So, listen, get started shaving with Harry's right now. 
claim your trial set for three ninety five, which covers your postage, and you'll be supporting our podcast by doing so as well. It will be delivered to you. That's razor handle, five blade cartridge, foaming shave gel, travel blade cover. Go to harrys.com forward slash new European. That's harrys, H-A-R-R-Y-S dot com forward slash European. Get your trial set and support this wonderful podcast. Ladies and gents, I think we should probably take a little break. From true crime to football, Brexit to folklore. For more great podcasts from Archant, head to audioboom.com slash channel slash Archant. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. I like to, if anyone is listening to this on Christmas Day, by the way, can you please tweet me? Stop what you're doing right now and Twitter at me. Because I'd love to think that someone was listening to this drivel on Christmas Day, wouldn't you? While they're getting the turkey ready or whatever. I think it would be the perfect uh, compliment. It would be an unbelievably good Christmas present to me, personally. Well, well, I mean, I will be listening to this back on Christmas Day (laughs) alone. I'll probably listen to this tomorrow because clearly I am very keen and don't have any socialising to do tomorrow. Well... Maybe that's a good seg then, uh, Cash, into um, our our cash and burn. I still, Matt, would like to point out that there's no Manic Street Preachers theme music yet. Um, maybe 2021, uh, you can sort that out. Cash, take it away. Yeah, so the um, the villain of the week, I suppose, I, it, it's hard maybe to, to make it just specifically Boris Johnson, but seeing as he is the Prime Minister and therefore the figurehead of the country, uh, it'll be him. The reason being, um, obviously... As, as people will know, London was put into tier four uh, on Saturday at approximately, well, the announcement was made at around four o'clock, came into um, into effect that, that midnight. I uh, was due to go home um, sort of the next day, so it would have been Sunday past. And obviously I, I, I am now still in London where I will be spending Christmas, which I want to couch at the start by saying two things. Firstly, it's not just myself, it's a number of other people in similar boats from different places, either in you know England or sort of Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland, or even further afield. And secondly, it's it's not about the need to stay in London specifically. Um, you know, my you know, we've sort of reconciled ourselves with friendmas rather than obviously the Christmas that you know we all thought we would we would have. But Boris Johnson is mine and our, I'm speaking on a on behalf of a collective of people who didn't ask me to speak for them, but here we are. Um, he's our villain of the week because we don't disagree with the restrictions, but I fundamentally disagree with imposing them five days before Christmas when you have spent the previous time insisting that a Christmas will not be cancelled, basically uh, marketing yourself as the prime minister who would never think of cancelling Christmas uh, to then subsequently five days before the big day when people have made their plans to cancel it. No one's, I personally would never ever disagree with the need for the restrictions. I think it's absolutely necessary, but I think this government and specifically Boris in this instance did the worst thing you can do to people. It's that you gave them hope and then took Mm -hmm. it away. If you had just said to them, if they, I mean, for example, like I'm not about, I I like, I like Christmas well enough, but I'm not like, you know, I'm not like Mitch Christmas isn't a habit for me. And so it's like, I have no real problem with, you know, being here. But my issue lies in the fact that so many other people made plans or 
you know, we're going to see family. Maybe that was their one little slice of hope this year. And then to unceremoniously have that ripped away five days before Christmas or six days or whatever it was, for me, is one of the worst things in a sea of terrible things the government has done in this pandemic. And so, yeah, for that reason, he's my villain of the week because he did the worst thing that you can do to people is that you you gave them hope of something and then you took it away rather than just telling them at the outset the reality, which they would have accepted. I think that that is the issue, isn't it? That's the real issue here, oh, yeah. not not sure. the restrictions. It's the, oh. and and you know, and 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 they can always hide behind. Well, the, you know, the science has changed. I listened to, um, I listened to uh, Boris Johnson uh, on the radio as I was driving, and he in, on Saturday, and he said, uh, you know, when the when the enemy changes, we have to change our defence or something along along those lines. But there was always this possibility. There was always the possibility, and instead of saying, look. We simply don't know because this thing is moving so quickly. We cannot absolutely certainly tell you that we won't have to basically cancel Christmas. They kept on and on and on that they were not going to change. They were not going to change. That was that's the that is the that is the cruel thing about yeah, it. Yeah, it's cruel. I mean, it's, for me, that is like, unforgivable in the sense that you he is so fixated on his own personal legacy. He's so fixated on being perceived as this, you know, jolly, you know, little may care guy who would never cancel a British tradition, let alone Christmas. But actually, he led people on a merry dance and then he created a reality that was so much worse. I mean, even placing people in the moral quandary of deciding whether or not to take their chances and travel on Saturday or whatever the case may be, as a lot of people did do. And you may well have seen the videos from King's Cross. Um, And I know people tried to sort of like fly to, to, to Ireland and other places, you're placing people in that position where they essentially are forced to choose between having the Christmas they had hoped for and or being compliant, but compromising their happiness through that compliance. And, and ultimately, it's a choice that if you told people a month and a half ago or whenever you would have known this information in terms of the virus remaining incredibly dangerous, if you told us, I say us as people who are now in tier four, if you told us that at that point, we would have maybe momentarily been annoyed, but we would have accepted it because largely we're all responsible, compliant individuals that understand the magnitude of this. However, to then relax things, to maintain that narrative, only to deviate from it and at the last possible minute, basically, for me, is unforgivable. I tell you who wouldn't have um, have understood, who wouldn't have been compliant that chap from the swimming pool boards, <laughs> he would have been furious, wouldn't he? He wouldn't have understood at all. Um, well, we're about there. It's about, it's almost Christmas. It, yeah. I, I, I was just going to ask you both, is there, just tell me the one, the one treat that you're looking forward to in, in, this, in this weird Christmas this year. Is there one thing over the next few days um that you, you oh, and in fact we're not back until the new year now are we so over until you know over the over this period that you're you're sort of really looking forward to doing i mean obviously it'll be the carry on films for you matt but um cash is there any one thing you know to be fair i mean like a, a, it's an extension of what i said before um a, a couple of my pals and i who are obviously are now staying as a result of the situation we've formed our own like bubble and we're we're doing like a friendmas um you know and I actually, despite the fact that obviously it would have been nice to have a change of scenery at home, you know, I'm really looking forward to, you know, spending more time with people I really like, albeit in a, in a weird situation. So, so yeah, I actually, I'm looking forward to that a lot. My, my disdain before was just about the handling of the whole situation, but I'm really looking forward to the substitute that we've kind of pulled together. 
that was interesting. Uh, and I, I don't want to highlight anything. There might, there might be some issues that I'm not aware of, Cash, but you said, um, I'm not able to go home, so I'm going to spend Christmas with some people I really like. Is that... <laughs> I didn't actually really... Well, no, hold on. I Is do actually like... You know you what? Like I actually your do family like as well. No, hold on. There's no real way to see it. That was actually unintentional. And I, I mean, my family know me. I would, I would say if I was just openly insulting them. Um, what I mean is, in the absence of being able to spend time with the people I originally intended, who I really like, the substitute sort of dynamic, also with people I really like, is a welcome, is a welcome alternative. Good. Almost saved, I think. Matt, what is the one thing you were playing darts or something like that for you, won't it be? It's just wine. Just yeah. loads and loads of wine. Like loads of it. Loads. Do you know, what, do you know what's good? Uh, Christmas is good. Because I, I, I will sit in one place for a long period. And that that kind of... I've been every kind of drunk, right, as we have established already on this podcast. But that kind of drunk where you don't realise you're drunk until you stand up drunk, you know, oh, where you've been sat yeah. in the same place. And got through the whole bottle over a, you know, five minute period or whatever. Listen, drink responsibly, guys. This Christmas, of course. And don't watch Mrs. Brown's boys. Be responsible Not, in that way too. That would be massively irresponsible. We should have that sign done up with the guy from the swimming pool watching Mrs. Brown's boys. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <coughs> right, we're almost there. I, I we by um, hook or by crook. Um, the new European is four and a half years old now. The podcast is about three and a half years old, I believe. Um, and it's What's been a pretty... any of my relationships. <laughs> well, the, this relationship has certainly been a very fulfilling one um, mm. for me. I, I mean, everyone told us we were, were bonkers. You know, luckily, um, founding editor and our dear leader, Matt Kelly, refused to listen to him. Thank God for that. We only had four editions planned. And those four editions obviously grew into um, something very much bigger. And that is thanks to you, the readers of the product, and of course, the listeners um, to this podcast. So I was just going to say a few thank yous, a few Christmas, I, I tell you what, a few virtual Christmas snogs um, for new European staffers, old and new, um, because the print product wouldn't look as striking uh, as it does without the likes of uh, Sarah Roberts, um, Jamie Bolton, Sam Wood. Uh, Nancy Fallows, um, of course, Chris Barker does the wonderful fronts, um, which uh, uh, I think he's got a book out as well of those fronts. Um, we should mention some of the other guys in the print team as well. Mark Hindle, who is uh, the stuff of TNE legend. Some of the stories I could tell you about that man um, will have to be off air. Uh, Ed Hogg, Darren, the distribution guys, uh, the website masterminds, John O'Reed and Adrian Zorzo. Um, Pete Raven, who does all the behind-the-scenes stuff, well, not all the behind-the-scenes stuff this pub, but a lot of it, and tells us how many of you guys have been listening, which is always, um, well, not always, but usually very good to hear. Um, my good pal, Jasper Coppin, who's the editor, completely unflappable, um, and, and as good uh, a, a, an editor as you'll find on any uh, other uh, national newspaper. All of the contributors to the paper over the year and uh, to this podcast, of course, and a special thank you to Mitch Ben, who came on and sang for us earlier. Um, I'd also like to say a massive Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to my old pal, the gloved wang, Steve Anglesey, um, who, I mean, this podcast um, wouldn't have become the monster it has uh, without him, and uh, we'll speak soon. And, of course, to you two, Matt Withers, 
Um, without Matt Withers, this podcast would not be in your ears right now on Christmas morning, <laughs> hopefully. Um, and of course, without Cash, it would just be two boring middle-aged blokes being boring. Cash, it is you that has injected some much-needed glamour and giggles into this podcast over the last few months. And I look forward hugely to picking it up with you all again in 2021. Ladies and gentlemen, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and Mr. Campbell, please play your bagpipes. Here you go. It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.